Thank you, Quinlan. How are you guys doing this morning? You guys having a, a merry Christmas season so far? It's been pretty good, yeah? Every um, January 1st, I always feel like I look at my wife and go, you know, we're going to blink and it's going to be Christmas. And I feel like we've done that this year, truly. It just feels like it goes quicker. I had a friend tell me once, the days are long, but the years are short. And that's really kind of how this last year has truly felt. Um, to put it in perspective, obviously, I'm sharing today. Pastor Ron is sharing next week. The week after that is Christmas. And the week after that is 2023. So welcome to the roller coaster. Uh, I'll be your host <laughs> for the next couple of weeks, put a seatbelt on, and we're, we're doing this. So <clears throat> over, and actually, in, in looking at this, and as January was coming up, it made me be a little reflective of this last year, because when about second week in January is when I took this position here at the church. So it's been almost a year already. It's unbelievable how quick time is moving. And over this last year, I have felt really called to kind of share myself with you guys um, so that you guys can, can better get to know me, um, who I am, and that hopefully we could be a better family of God through those things. So as this Christmas season hits, I want to share something that's very important to me and my family. Uh, tell me if this story is familiar to you guys. During the Christmas, commercialized Christmas season, there's a big dude who looks like that, who breaks into people's houses, eats their food, drinks their milk, and then leaves. That's not Chris Slagle, by the way. That is not him. It might look like him, and on Christmas, he will likely wear something bright red. Uh, it's not him. But, uh, and this guy flies around with 12 reindeer. Am I on to something? Have you guys heard this before? This is not new to anybody, right? If it is, we'll talk later. I can explain a lot to you. Um, but you see, growing up in New York and being in an Italian family, we didn't have this. Because coming from an Italian culture, uh, the, the country of Italy has a lot of hills. And reindeer are incapable of climbing hills. So in their place, we don't have 12 reindeer as an Italian. We've got this guy. That's Dominic the donkey. Um, and there's only one of him, and he's the only one qualified and capable of climbing the hills of Italy. So they tag out for a couple of hours on Christmas, and Dominic shows up. And what's interesting is when Dominic shows up, he only brings gifts that were made in Brooklyn. That's the only place that he gets his gifts from. So if you want to know more about this, we won't be in the back of the church praying for you and sharing with you the good news of Dominic. Um, but there's a song by Lou Monty called Dominic the Donkey, and it was one of my favorite Christmas traditions. I would highly encourage you to listen to it on your way home. It will put a big smile on your face. Praise the Lord. That is not what our teaching is about this morning, okay? But I thought it was a fun thing for you guys to get to know me. So I've been searching far and wide for an ugly sweater that has Dominic the donkey on it to give to my dad for Christmas. I cannot find one anywhere. So if you guys ever get leads, let me know on that. Um, okay, so in all seriousness, we are in this Christmas season. <clears throat> and truth be told, the Christmas season can be very different for each of us, the feelings that it can elicit can be different for all of us. Um, some of us might enter uh, this season feeling overwhelmed because maybe you have a lot of commitments during this time. Um, maybe a passion of yours is to bake cookies and breads and all sorts of different things and bring them to your neighbors. And as fulfilling and joyful as that is, it leaves you feeling exhausted when it's all said and done. Um, maybe some of you have very large shopping lists. Um, you know, I remember before I had children, so about 13 years ago, we would buy gifts for our friends 
and then those friends got married, and now it's not one gift. Now there's two gifts. And then those couples then have children, and now it's not two gifts. Now it's three or four or five. And we were at a point this year where I talked to my wife, and I called all my buddies, and I'm like, listen, we're not buying stuff for the adults anymore. It's just the kids. Like, I can't do this. I'm going to be broke, you know, if, uh, if all these uh, folks still keep expecting things, you know, back and forth. Um, but we can get consumed with kind of living up to a certain expectation in this Christmas season that it needs to look a certain way or feel a certain way. And, and honestly, and I've experienced this being out uh, here in Missouri before my family uh, moved out here, is the Christmas season can feel lonely for people. And it can feel lonely because maybe our family is far away from here. Maybe you're a parent whose kids are in college or maybe they've gotten married and they're in a different state and it can just feel challenging or empty or sad even. And there's others, I heard a story, this is just a few weeks ago of a woman whose father-in-law passed away and her mother-in-law did not want anybody at their house for Thanksgiving or Christmas because it just hurt too much. And maybe there's some of us here this morning that have lost people, whether it's this year or 10 years ago, and the holidays just elicit and bring up waves of grief. And it's painful, and it could be difficult to navigate this season. Or maybe some of us in Christmas morning might feel disappointed because maybe if you're a newly married couple, you've been dropping hints to your spouse about the thing that you want and you're seeing if they've been paying attention the whole year saying, I see the couples looking at each other like, yeah, I've been dropping hints all year. So I hope you were taking notes and paying attention as someone who's been married for a little bit now. I definitely take notes throughout the year. When I hear something, I open my phone, take out the notepad, I write down whatever it is, even if I don't know what it is. And then I research it around birthdays and Christmases. So I'm just saying, right? And then Christmas day hits and then maybe you've hit a home run, maybe you haven't, and Christmas morning can be filled or feel like it could become disappointing. So in light of that and understanding all of these things that are going on around this holiday, Pastor Ron and I are taking a break from this expository teaching through the book of Matthew, and we're going to look towards something called a church calendar for the next few weeks of teaching. Now, the church calendar is not like a Google Drive or a Microsoft thing that you sync your phone to. Um, a church calendar was developed uh, a long time ago, and it basically navigates a year for a church. And what it does is it, it, it points out significant dates in the year. So there's some set dates like Christmas, so we know that Christmas is December 25th. That's set by a church calendar, and we typically abide by it. But it also gives us direction if we utilize the church calendar for how we develop teaching for congregations. And they can include the seasons of Christmas or Lent or Easter and Pentecost. It has all these different things. It also uh, shows you how to determine when Easter is every year. There's a breakdown on, on these things. And a church calendar is not like a traditional it is 12 months, but it's not a traditional like annual calendar. So when 2023 hits, we'll start January 1st and it'll end December 31st. That's a standard calendar, right? In businesses, you hear things called a fiscal calendar, which basically what that means is it's still 12 consecutive months, but it could start in July and end in June. Most nonprofits start their budgets in October because that's when a lot of charitable giving happens and it ends in September, so they make their budget based on what comes in during those holidays, okay? Church calendar functions similarly uh, to that, and it always starts four Sundays before Christmas, 
And then this first season that kicks off the church calendar is something called Advent. How many people have heard that term before? Right? A lot of the ladies are raising their hand because we're doing a Bible study right now with the ladies on the Advent calendar and what Advent is. So for those that don't know what Advent is, it's very important. And Advent simply comes from a Latin word, which means coming. So this season of Advent is a time of preparation and expectation for the coming celebration of the Lord's nativity and excitement for the final coming of Christ in his power and his glory. And there are a lot of fun versions that we utilize and celebrate in this season of Advent. If you guys have been to the store at all, really since like the beginning of November, there's always an aisle that sells Advent calendars. Have you guys seen those or heard of those before? They're a countdown. They go from 1 to 24. And I always find it interesting that there's so many people who don't believe that Jesus is the reason for the season, but buy Advent calendars. That's kind of a very humorous way of saying you're actually celebrating Jesus coming. You just don't realize it. So great work, heathens. That's wonderful. Um, so Advent calendars are, they're, they're not bad. So this is not saying Advent calendars are a bad thing, but they're designed to be this like anticipation and countdown to the coming of Jesus. And the reason why there's gifts or toys or things like that for children behind each one is it's something to look forward to as we're coming to a place where Christ is born. Okay, are you with me? So there's these small things, and then it ends on the 24th, and then the 25th is Christmas Day where we celebrate the greatest gift of all, which is the birth of Jesus Christ. So there's, the, the world has commercialized some of these things, but for followers of Jesus, this time is very special. For those who believe that Jesus is, in fact, the promised Messiah, Advent becomes a shared experience of both meditation and prayer that celebrates the greatest gift of all, Jesus Christ. And during this season, we as believers are encouraged to engage in both prayer and meditation, stopping for a moment and thinking about all of the amazing things that have come to pass because of Christ's arrival on this earth. And church, I don't know about you, but sometimes I can forget those things if I don't stop and reflect and say, man, God really has done a mighty work all throughout my life. I joke often when I talk about my previous ministry experience that the 10 years that I worked in Teen Challenge, I have forgotten more miracles than I've remembered because God was just always up to something. And what a great place to be that is. So Advent is a time to pray and to thank the Lord for all that he's done individually. But corporately, we are to focus on four major themes during this time. And if these words, these themes sound familiar, they should because they're hanging up in our lobby. And there's a reason why they're hanging up in our lobby. But we are to focus on hope and peace and love and joy. And today, we're going to take time to look at two of them, both hope and peace. And to do that, we're going to look into Luke chapter 1. And we're going to start at verse 24, but really, I want to give you some backstory that starts in verse 5. So let's, let's do that real quick. In Luke chapter 1, we're introduced to two people uh, that are new to us in Scripture. The first is Zechariah, and the second is this woman named Elizabeth. And they are a couple, so they're together, and, then, and they are defined or listed as an older couple. And what makes the two of them very special is they were unable to have children. And one day, Zechariah is chosen to enter the temple and burn incense 
And he's asked to do this because Zechariah is a priest. So all the priests would cast lots on who is going to uh, go into the temple and burn incense. Zechariah gets chosen. And when he gets there, there's an angel of the Lord who speaks to him. And he tells Zechariah, your wife is going to get pregnant. That she will have a son who we would uh, find out will grow up to become John the Baptist. And the angel gives this prophetic word over Zechariah and basically says that, hey, your son's going to kind of be a big deal and a big player in the story of Jesus. But Zechariah questions the angel, which is probably not a great decision. And his consequences for questioning the angel is that he is not allowed to speak until his son is born. For me, that would be a near impossibility. That would be very difficult. The Lord would literally have to shut my mouth right? But he did that to Zechariah. So let's pick up our text in Luke chapter 1, and let's start now in verse 24, and it reads like this. After this, his wife, so Zechariah's wife, Elizabeth, became pregnant. So the Lord told the angel something to tell to Zechariah, and that comes true. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said, in these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among my people. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth. Does that sound familiar to you guys? You guys know where this story is going? In a town of Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings you, who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. What a greeting. Greetings you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. But Mary, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting that might be. Notice she's not questioning the angel. Verse 30, but the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. I want to hear that. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and check this out, church, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was unable to conceive is in her sixth month. Really important verse here, church 37. For no word from God will ever fail. 38, I am the Lord's servant. What a beautiful response Mary has. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to the town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zachariah's home and, and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby, John, leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. Elizabeth knows what's happening. But why am I so favored 
that the mother of my Lord should come to me. Elizabeth is completely aware of who Mary is carrying. As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you humbly saying we need you this morning. Father, as we study your word, I pray you grow in us hope and peace. That through this teaching and through this time that we have together as a body of believers, that you would draw us in, Jesus, and we would go deeper with you. Lord, that we would recognize and be grateful for not only the gift of coming to this earth, but the gift of reconciling us to the Father. Thank you, Jesus, for your work on the cross, your forgiveness, and your reconciliation. We are ever grateful. We ask this in your precious son's name. Amen. Well, what a powerful portion of scripture. Am I right or am I wrong? Like, I mean, when you slowly read it, it's, there's times I've read really quickly through scripture and man, you just miss stuff. But as I've read and read and read and read this passage over and over these last few weeks, it's just like the word of God just hits you nonstop. You see, Elizabeth becomes so joyful and so excited And she ends this passage with this powerful statement, blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. You are blessed when we trust that the Lord is still in control. And Elizabeth understands what the angel says in in verse 37, that no word from God will ever fail. So Mary showing up and her finding out that both her and Elizabeth are pregnant elicits hopeful expectation. And truth be told, each of us have experienced somewhat of a hopeful expectation at some point in our life. It's this anticipation of a future that is better than the present. And and what's interesting is as I studied these words this week, I realized that biblical hope is very different than earthly hope. And allow me to explain. I remember when I was younger, Um, On Saturdays, my family would typically go over my grandmother and grandfather's house. Sometimes in the mornings, my grandfather would take us crabbing. We would throw crab traps uh, out at the docks on Long Island. We'd catch blue claw crab. We'd bring them home. Um, and then my grandmother would make it, we call it gravy, so red sauce, marinade sauce. We would, she would make that, and she would cook the crabs in those. We'd break them open, and we'd have that over pasta. It'll change your life if you have those. It's unbelievable stuff, okay? We used to do that, and my grandfather would always surprise us. He had season tickets at times to the Islanders, so we'd go to hockey games, and we would sit behind the opposite goalie so we could see the Islanders attack twice a night. I mean, he always had something really cool going on. And he let the cat out of the bag to my mom one time that he had a toy that he got for me. I got very excited. So I kept asking my mom, what is it? What's the toy? What's Grandpa got for me? And finally, she tells me it was a Captain America action figure. Oh, 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 baby, let's go. I had G.I. Joes. I had Battle Beasts. I had all these different toys. And I had a grand plan for old Captain America. I knew exactly where he was going to go in my room, and one of my buddies had a Captain America, and you could put the shield on his arm, and you could push a button, and it shoots it. It was like spring-loaded. It was awesome, and I couldn't wait to get my hands on old Captain America. 
And Saturday hit, and we get to my grandparents' house. I'm like, where's the captain? And my grandfather gives me the gift. And it is not the Captain America that I expected. This was a Captain America made of rubber that you can tie in knots and throw on the wall, and it would stick to the wall, and all sorts of crazy things. And I was really disappointed because I didn't know how this guy was going to fit in with all of the other stuff that my brother and I created and played with. And as weeks went on, my brother and I just kind of made the best of the situation, and we said, you know what, we could still use him for these things, and we became optimistic. We created something that we didn't necessarily love or enjoy, we made the best out of the situation. You follow me? And I realized that the older I've got, I thought I grew past that, and I really haven't. Because this last year, I know I've talked about the Mets quite a bit. I love the Mets. I love baseball. And uh, I was very hopeful and optimistic that the Mets were going to hang a World Series banner in Queens. I mean, you, you had me convinced when we beat the Phillies when we came back from five runs. And I, that's all I cared about. And what happened? Bubble bursted. We lost in the first round of the wild card, and I was pretty heartbroken because I really enjoyed watching him. I, all I could say is I know what Pastor Ron feels every year seeing the Cowboys just lose over and over again. It's just, it's hard. You know, it's really hard. Although he's got a great team this year. So, um, but what did I do after that? I started like making the best out of the worst circumstance. Like, well, at least we have an owner that's going to spend money and we'll get more players and we'll do this and we'll do that. And, and I'm taking a situation that maybe is devastating and I'm choosing to see how the situation could work out for the best. And there's nothing inherently wrong about doing that because a lot of times we're in bad situations and our heart posture needs to be we need to make, lemon out of, uh, make lemonade out of lemons, right? Sometimes that happens. But as I studied this and I studied hope in the Bible, I started realizing that biblical hope is not really focused on our circumstances at all. You see, if we look at the word of God, there are a few ancient Hebrew words that are used for hope. And as I was doing this Advent study, um, I, I found some work that Tim Mackey did that did some really great exegetical work uh, and, and uh, Greek work on these words. I want to read to you uh, what, what he put together. So in the Old Testament, there are two main Hebrew words that are translated as hope. The first one is yakal. Um, and I think we've got it. There is a spelling error on there. I realize in the first uh, service, there should be an H after the K. So it should be Y-A-K-H-A-L. But yakal means simply to wait for, okay? That's the biblical word for hope, is to wait for. Like in the story of Noah and the ark, as the floodwaters receded, Noah had to, yakal, had to wait for weeks. That's found in Genesis chapter 8. And the other Hebrew word is kava, which also means to wait, but this is a different type of waiting. This word is related to the Hebrew word kav. Kav is just Q-A-V, and that word means cord. So when you pull a kav or a cord tightly, you produce a state of tension until there is a release. That release is the kava, the feeling of tension and expectation while you wait for something to happen. The prophet Isaiah depicts God as a farmer who plants vines and kavas, waits, for the good grapes. We see this in Isaiah 28. Or the prophet Micah talks about farmers who both kava and yakal for morning dew to give moisture to the land. That's found in Micah chapter 5. So optimism, earthly hope, 
is looking at a situation and trying to see how circumstances will work out for the best. And that's great. And we often need that. But this biblical perspective, again, is not focused on our circumstances. Most people throughout the word of God who talked about hope often realized that there was no evidence of their situation or circumstance ever getting better, right? Mackey continues in, in, this, in this exposition. He says, like a prophet Hosea, he lived in a dark time when Israel was being oppressed by foreign empires. He chose hope when he said God could turn this valley of trouble into a door of hope. Like the day when Israel came up from the land of Egypt, God had surprised his people with redemption back in the days of Exodus, and he could do the same again. So follow this, church. It is God's past faithfulness that motivates our hope for the future. It is God's past faithfulness that motivates our hope for the future. You look forward by looking backwards, trusting in nothing other than God's character. God called you to ministry. God called me to ministry, and my calling sat on my wall for years and years and years and years. And I thought the Lord had forgotten me until one day he goes, hey, now it's time. Are you willing to follow where I go? The promise he made me, he was faithful to come through and say, I got you. The words the Lord shares with us, the hope that he gives us, we have books and testimonies and stories and Ebenezer's stones to look back and say, look what God has done. Why do we think in the circumstance we're in now, God won't show up? Why do we think at times that the difficulty that we're living in right now is too big for God? when all we have is proof and evidence that he will walk through every circumstance with us. We look forward by looking backwards. It's like the poet in Psalm 39 who says, and now, O Lord, what else can I kava for? What else can I wait for? You are my yakal. You are my hope. In church, there's times that that is not our first prayer, is it? There's times our first prayer is, I got this. I'm going to handle this. I can do this. I don't need you. How, what a dangerous place to be, church, as people, if we think that. So this hope is the fact that throughout history, man has distanced ourselves from the king of kings. And the hope is that God has done nothing but attempt in every possible way to reconcile himself back to us. Correct or incorrect? We see this throughout the Old Testament. God makes man, man sins. They are far from God. And what does God do? He creates a way to commune with the king of kings. And then time goes on, and then there's sin, and then there's distance, and the Lord calls them back to repentance. And time after time, there was person after person that the Lord attempted to use to bring ultimate reconciliation. But we are man, we are fallen, and no one could do it. So the hope we look back to is that Jesus Christ said, I'll go. He's the fulfillment of prophecy. He comes down to earth, is born of a virgin Mary, lives a perfect life, 
is tempted in every way. So we have a Savior who understands everything that we are going through, hangs on a cross that we put him on. And as he hangs there, he says, forgive him. That's the hope that we have, church. The hope that no matter how far our children are away from the Lord, no matter how difficult the circumstance we're dealing with, no matter the trouble or the medical diagnosis or any of these things, the hope we have is that God is still on the throne. His kingdom will reign forever, and you are fearfully and wonderfully made, and he loves you. And when we have that hope, brothers and sisters, that hope should elicit peace in our life. And peace is, is an interesting thing because it also has earthly and biblical perspectives. Earthly peace, in large sense, is usually talking about the absence of conflict. So picture it this way. Anybody here have children or been around children, right? If you're a parent, you know where I'm going with this. 8.30 in my house is like, we made it. And then usually it's like, hey, Dad, can I have a question? No, no, there are no more questions. There's only bedtime. You could ask me a question tomorrow morning. That is what it is. Jeff is like, praise the Lord. Yes, there are no more questions. You go to bed, you sleep, and think about that question. And if it's still there in the morning, then it's a great question, right? So it's this feeling of like, we made it. But it's, I mean, the questions are coming the next morning. I love the questions, right? No parent would ever say they hate the questions. But earthly peace is like this absence of conflict, Right When there's peace amongst nations that are warring nations, they're just not hurling missiles at each other anymore. Right, That's earthly peace. It's like, oh, great, they're not blowing each other up. This is, this is a wonderful thing. Okay, um, and, and, and while this idea is somewhat consistent with a biblical definition, the biblical definition of peace points us to something so much deeper. And church, this is very, a very challenging concept to think about what peace really is and what God is calling us to live in. So the word of God gives us two words again for peace. One is found in the Old Testament and one is in the New Testament. And this Old Testament one, you guys have probably heard before, haven't you? Shalom, right? We hear that term and it's an absolutely beautiful word. And in the New Testament, we get this word in Greek and it's pronounced irene. So let's see, there we go, Irene. Those are our two words. If we could leave shalom on the screen, that would be good. <clears throat> so these words are defined as complete or whole. And what's really interesting about when we look at the biblical definition of these words, shalom can often be referred to or be defined as an individual stone like a brick that has no cracks in it. Strange, huh? One brick that's in completeness and has no impurity, it has no cracks. But it can also be referred to an entire structure made of many stones <clears throat> that has no gaps or missing bricks. Church, understanding the single brick and the brick wall, this is the shalom, the peace that God wants for our church body and our body of believers that each one of us individually are made whole in Christ's sacrifice and his forgiveness. And that as each of us are made whole through those things, we come together as a larger church body to make something even bigger that's even more whole and even more complete. Amen? This idea is something that has a lot of parts or pieces to it that is in a place of wholeness 
or completeness, okay? So this idea of shalom, this thought, this word of shalom, it is about your life, my life, being very complicated. How many people's lives here are not complicated? Okay, I didn't think no one is raising their hand because all of our lives are complicated. There's all sorts of things that are going on. And most of us have our own lives and work and relationships and families and other things that orbit around us 24 hours a day, seven days a week. When I worked for Teen Challenge, if I walked on the campus and everything was calm, I stopped. I was like, this is not good. This is not good. And any of my staff would be like, yeah, you're right. Something's about to burn down. Like, this is too peaceful. Like, something has to be going sideways. And guess what? 10 out of 10 times, something popped off. It's just what it was. Because no matter how perfect we try to create our lives, things go sideways. Right? People get sick. My son is sick this morning, so my family's home with him. Please be praying for Aiden. He's got a fever, and he's, he's, a, he's, he's miserable right now. So be praying for him, please. Okay? So that is something coming out of shalom. It's another complicated um, moment in our lives that we have to navigate. And when any of these things that are in our lives become out of orbit or out of alignment or these things create complications, the peace or shalom in our lives, it breaks. And something needs to be addressed or changed in order for it to be restored. When Jesus shares on the Sermon of the Mount, blessed are the peacemakers, peacemaking also uh, typically involves conflict and confrontation, doesn't it? Think about an issue you've had with somebody where you had to make peace. Was it easy or did it require a backbone and praying first and going and saying some difficult things to somebody? Why? Because you love them. That's what peacemaking is all about. Church, there are two people in my life that have probably hurt me worse than anybody else. And I have had to give that to the Lord and do everything I can to make peace with them. And sometimes that's saying hard things. And sometimes that's ignoring them and saying, I, I can't now until the Lord opens up the door to do it. But as believers, we are called to walk in peace and bring peace to situations and circumstances. So when we bring shalom or peace into our own lives, it becomes an action. And we are attempting to restore something. You are taking what is missing and you are restoring it to wholeness. And church, this is so important because if all of us stop for a moment and think about a time in our life, all of us could say someone stepped up and brought peace in my life by sharing the word of God with me. Am I right or am I wrong? So each of us need to walk in this peace because we are to reflect the image of Christ in our lives. And when we walk in peace and wholeness and completeness because we know who's sitting on the throne, God can do mighty things in this church through every single one of you and many others can be reached because of it. A great example of this is found in 1 Kings chapter 9 when Solomon brings shalom, he brings peace to an unfinished temple when he completes it. Beautiful. The same goes for us in human relationships. In the book of Proverbs, to reconcile and heal a broken relationship is to bring shalom. When rival kingdoms make shalom in the Bible, it doesn't mean they just stop fighting. It also means they start working together for each other's benefit. That's making an enemy an ally. Is that easy? No. Does it require the Lord going in front of us? Yes. 
The state of shalom is what Israel's kings were supposed to cultivate, and it rarely happened. It rarely happened. So the prophet Isaiah looked forward to a king who would be called the prince of shalom. Sound familiar? That's who we know as Jesus Christ. If Jesus is the prince of peace, and we know now that shalom means to bring this wholeness into our lives, this is what Jesus was all about. That Jesus' reign would bring a peace or a shalom that has no end. A time where God would make a covenant of shalom with his people and make right all the wrongs and heal all that has been broken. Who wants that in their life? Church, it's easy to be hurt. It's easy to let other people lord things over you. It is hard to give those things to the Lord and say, God, I want to make peace. And trust me, I understand there's two parties that need to be involved. But our heart posture cannot grow cold to people who have hurt us or broken us down. I'm not saying that we put them in our will and all these other sorts of things, okay? What I am saying is that our heart posture needs to be one of forgiveness and an openness to make something complete. Because the enemy is looking for ways for him to put his fingers into things and take your calling away from you, the things that God has called you to do by making you angry, frustrated, and upset at whatever circumstance happened around you. Because when we buy into that stuff, I'm going to tell you what happens. Horrible theology becomes created. And we start thinking, well, all these people hurt me. My cousin hurt me. My uncle hurt me. This person hurt me. That person hurt me. So I'm going to burn it all down and forget it. I don't want to do, I don't want to deal with any of this stuff anymore. And then we become isolated. And what happens when we become isolated? We start only thinking the thoughts that are in our head. And all of a sudden, we think every word that comes in our brain is the greatest thought on the planet. And we start creating idols of ourselves. That is dangerous. I thank God I have people in my life who corrected me. And church, here's this. I have seen churches split because Pastor Ron shared this a couple weeks ago about correction because people get upset when correction happens. Sometimes correction happens because people love you and care about you. And sometimes you don't want to hear the correction. Sometimes broken people make mistakes and they correct the wrong people. And they take things out of hand because pride and all these things happen. No matter what the circumstance, it is our responsibility to go to the Lord and say, Lord, teach me how to have shalom in my life. Because if we don't, that will eat at us. It will pop up at times where you least expect it. Emma, are you hearing me, brothers and sisters? I've lived this. There is one name, if I hear it, it elicits the worst feelings in my life. And I've talked about this deeply with Pastor Ron. I was like, I don't even know how to give this up, right? And he prays with me on that. My wife prays with me on that because this is a dude who hurt me real bad, okay? But at some point, we have to give that over and say, Lord, teach me how to walk in peace. The peace that Jesus is talking about goes back to what I mentioned earlier, the story of the Old Testament, that God has been trying to restore his covenant relationship with his people, that Jesus came to this earth, was born, died, was resurrected, and brought shalom to each and every one of us in every one of our relationships that we can have with the King of Kings, with God himself. Jesus has restored this covenant by standing in our place on the cross, taking on the sins of the world and offering forgiveness to anybody who believes. Ephesians 4, Paul instructs the church to stay united through the foundation of peace, the foundation of shalom. That's us, church. 
We need to stay united through shalom, through peace. And doing this requires each of us to walk in humility and patience with each other, bearing one another's burdens. Everybody walks through those doors with some type of baggage every Sunday. And we need to care enough and love enough our brothers and sisters to say, I don't need to know everything, but know that I'm praying for you. I don't know what's going on, but I want to see shalom in your life. I don't just want it for me. I want it for you. Mackey concluded this study of Advent with this statement. He says, becoming people of peace means participating in the life of Jesus who reconciled all things in heaven on earth, restoring peace through his death and resurrection. So peace takes a lot of work because it's not just the absence of conflict. True peace requires taking what's broken and restoring it to wholeness, whether it's in our lives or our relationships or our world. Church, there's moments where we will have choices in our lives, circumstances that will grind away at us, and we can become really cold to the things of this world. We could be really cold to the things of God and just become numb and apathetic, and that is not in this season what God is calling us to contemplate and to grow in. We have to accept shalom, peace in our lives. We have to restore relationships with family members. Why? Because if they don't know who Jesus is, but it's easier for you not to talk to them, guys, that's a dangerous place to be. Because I know at times in my life, I, I have not had people who wanted to talk to me because I was a big-time jerk. And at some point, someone did reach out to my family and brought them to church, brought them to a Billy Graham crusade, where they encountered the Most High. And I stand here today because someone was willing to bring peace and show us shalom into my family. And because of that, my whole world has changed. Church, we need to walk in peace. We need to have a heart posture that is towards the Lord and reconciling relationships, not actively ignoring things because it's easy. Are you hearing me? So as the worship team comes up, I want us to stop and I want us to contemplate during this Advent season all the things that we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be reflecting in these various moments on all the great things that God has done in our lives and in our families, meditating and praying on those things. So I started thinking about this last year when I was doing this, and I started thinking about all the times that God showed up here at this church. We have seen this year couples come together and get married. Beautiful, isn't it? We have seen little babies dedicated right up here. Glory to God. I have seen couples that were fighting restore their relationships and win those fights. That's a beautiful thing. I have seen our church body be obedient in their calling, and because of that, they planted a church in Ecuador, and because of that obedience, other people are wanting to plant more churches through that church. Amen. We have seen baptisms right there this year, have we not? We've seen salvations, and we have seen at a minimum of two tremendous physical healings that the Lord has done both in Angelia and Samuel. Church, in this season, if we feel hopeless, if we feel forgotten, let us stop for a moment and reflect on all the things that God has done. He has not left 
any of you. He has not left this church. He has not forsaken the calling that he has on your life. He is calling you to bring hope and bring peace in your life through the name of Jesus that we would walk and share his gospel and reflect his image to the world around us. Amen? So as we close, let's take this time to review a few questions and let's act on these, church. We're going to have people in the back that are ready to pray. We have some prayer team. Pastor Ron and I both will be back there. But number one, what does your hope in Jesus look like? Is he your hope? Or is your paycheck and Christmas bonus your hope? And that's real, church. And I say that because at one point in my life, it was. Where is your hope? Two, in what areas of your life do you need to find shalom, wholeness, completeness, peace? And here's the action step on that, which is question three. What will it take for you to walk in shalom? Because I know this, it's easy to hear that question and be challenged by it and walk away and do nothing with it. But at some point, we have to confront these things, brothers and sisters. And I thank God that there's people here that are willing to walk through these things with you in the name of Jesus, seeking the Lord to say, God, show us where we are supposed to go. So what is it going to take to fix that crack and that fracture? What's it going to take to leave that hurt at the cross? And lastly, what are you thankful for? That's a big one. Because we can get consumed with our circumstances or consequences and forget about all the amazing things that God has done. So, Lord, we come before you today as a church in this Advent season. And, Lord, we are so grateful for the peace that you have brought this shalom in our hearts, this peace that passes all understanding, Jesus, that you have radically changed our lives. And then as the world is turning and, and seems to get crazier every day, Lord, you are the constant and you're the one that brings the peace. And Lord, thank you for your son, Jesus, who is the hope of the world. The one who came to this earth and lived this perfect life that anyone who believes in him will not perish, but they'll be with you, King Jesus. Lord, meet us here this morning. Plant seeds of shalom. Plant seeds of hope. We need you, Lord, and we trust you. We give this time to you. In your name we pray. Amen.